Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you caused the Apostle Paul to write this letter and that has so many relevant and very important things for us to learn uh, and to uh, take seriously and to submit to. And we want to ask you that you'd help us to do that well and uh, that we would be changed by your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, last, a lot of you know, last week I was actually sick, uh, still, still been unwell, still getting uh, better, um, but I was quite sick last week and so all I could do is watch TV. Uh, I discovered this thing called Netflix. Yay, seen a few, yay. Who's discovered Netflix? Netflix is like online um, TV content, essentially. You can watch entire TV series on this thing, like straight. You can binge watch like eight, series, eight seasons of a show. You know, how many, 200 hours straight or something. If you probably die if you did that. You can watch lots of movies, that sort of thing. It's all there on request. Um, and if you're with a bunch of providers, they don't charge you download for it. So it's really, really good. And I got one month free and I can pull out before I have to pay for it. So I was pretty happy with that. That's a good thing to do when you're sick, right? Um, so I watched a bunch of things. It wasn't long before I, I was watching Netflix, various things. Um, I, I started thinking about this, looking at the kind of content that was on there. Uh, we have a rating system, which I'm sure you're uh, pretty familiar with if you've watched anything in Australia, movies, even video games, I think, use the same, the same ratings these days. Um, and I started thinking about MA rating, right? You have to be 15 or over. You have to be a mature audience. A mature audience. Uh, I started thinking about what that is because um, there's a lot of stuff on Netflix, like a disproportional amount, that is MA rated, like has really bad stuff in it, or R rated. It's full of violence, it's full of sex, it's full of coarse language, it's full of nudity. And I started watching it and thinking about maturity, right? It's really interesting. Mature people are allowed to watch that stuff. Surely from a Christian perspective, mature people wouldn't want to watch that stuff. But it got me thinking about other things though as well how it desensitises people. It's not a, not a new thing. Watching this sort of stuff, binge-watching this kind of stuff over and over again desensitises us to things in real life. What we input into our senses, this is what desensitisation means, what you input into your senses actually changes who you are. It changes your thoughts and feelings and your sense of what's right and wrong and how to relate to people and gradually, unconsciously, it actually shapes who you are. It really does, in measurable ways. There's lots of studies on it. We get desensitised to what we are familiar with. But then I thought about something far more important off the back of that, looking at Galatians chapter 1. I think we become, as Christians, as we become familiar with Jesus, we become familiar with the gospel, I think we become incredibly desensitised to the gospel, the message of Jesus. I think we become incredibly desensitised to it. I think the grace of God doesn't seem so amazing anymore. I think Jesus doesn't shape our lives how he should as much. And gradually the truths of the gospel don't become as precious anymore good, solid Bible doctrine, the teaching of the Bible, and getting that right doesn't become as important anymore. We get desensitised to it. And the other side of that, the sinister side of that, is I think we get desensitised to how incredibly, inexpressibly serious false teaching is and twisting and distorting the gospel is. Galatians is a book that's going to tell us how incredibly serious it is to twist the gospel and to get doctrine wrong and to change it and to misunderstand who Jesus is and what he's on about. And the way the Apostle Paul addresses that problem in this book is really, really fierce. This book is going to teach us how to contend for God's truth in a way that's really, really fierce. Um, let me just catch you up um, on the background of Paul's letter to the churches uh, in Galatia. Galatia is like an area in, um, in modern Turkey. 
uh, that, that's geographically the area today. Um, it, Paul went there in 47 AD or thereabouts on the first of his missionary journeys, um, which basically means he wandered around different places and preached the gospel of Jesus and saw people saved and started churches um, of people who became followers of Jesus. And so he established these churches and he went into the next place and preached the gospel and started another church and he kept going around. And so there's a bunch of churches in the region of Galatia. He left, went to do other stuff, other, other, um, other areas, preached the gospel elsewhere. Um, shortly after... A bunch of other Christian preachers came through Galatia to the churches there Paul had founded and started telling them that Paul, you know, he was on the right track, mostly. But he doesn't quite understand the gospel fully yet. And so what they did is they tried to supplement and kind of improve on Paul's teaching and and, and help the Galatian Christians really kind of get the, the next level of Christian experience and the stuff they were missing out on. You know, you haven't actually got it all from what Paul told you. And so they preached this stuff and people thought it sounded like a pretty good idea and they would pretty taken to it. Paul heard about it and so about 48, 49 AD, only a year or two after he first planted those churches, he wrote this letter to sort of go around those churches so they can read his response and he fiercely urges them, don't turn to what these people are teaching. Whatever you do, do not turn to what these people are teaching. Have a look at your Bibles there, Galatians uh, chapter 1, uh, page 1167. Um, and just have that open, because I won't get you to flip anywhere else in the Bible this morning. But just listen to how urgent and how direct Paul speaks to this issue. Verse 8, he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. The gospel of Jesus is so serious, such a big deal, that if anybody distorts it, anybody changes it, then they should be prepared to face God's judgment in hell. That's what he says. And just in case you think he's a bit overexcited, and, you know, he's just stating it over the top, he thinks, what's the most glorious, important messenger I can possibly come up with? An angel of God, right? Even if an angel of God was to do that, they would be under God's curse. Now, come on, Paul, you're overstating it, mate. Aren't you being a bit over the top? I understand, you know, they're not taking you seriously anymore. They're following these other teachers now. I think you're just sort of defending your own turf. And let's state it a bit, a bit less emotionally, please. Well, let me say it again slowly. Verse 9. It's really important. He repeats it. As we have already said, now let me say again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, as in when Paul preached it to them, let them be under God's curse. That's the tone of the book of Ephesians. <laughs> Galatians. Ephesians isn't like that, actually. The book of Galatians. He's fierce in opposing alternatives to the real gospel of Jesus. And it's going to teach us to be fierce, too. Now, here is one of the things we're going to learn from the book of Galatians. Doctrine matters. Teaching of the Bible matters. All doctrine matters is something that uh, it starts tending towards because all theology, all the teaching of the Bible is joined together. So if you get something wrong, you distort one thing, it affects other things, and before you know it, it's a different message. Doctrine matters. It's a matter of eternal life and death. See, I, I think a problem we have is you hear false teachers and you know they're baddies, right? So how do you picture them? False teachers, baddies. Um, they're dressed in black and they wear baddie outfits and, 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 and they like torturing kittens, Right? Like, they're baddies. <laughs> they're false teachers. No, that isn't what they look like. Successful te- false teachers will be some of the most likable people you will ever know. 
successful false teachers most likely believe a lot of the same things that all Christians do. And that's true of the people in Galatia that are teaching an alternative gospel that Paul is condemning so fiercely. Let me tell you a couple of things that these guys are teaching. And these are good things that they're teaching, that they believe. We can gather this from reading the book of Galatians, what they were teaching, a few few things at least. Um, They believe the Bible's God's word, tick. Christians believe the Bible's God's word, that's great. They believe Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Christ, he's the king. They believe Jesus died on the cross, they believe he rose again. They're Christians, they name the name of Jesus, right? They're Christians, this is extraordinary because they follow Jesus and they've been called out by Paul. They also believe that salvation is offered to all people through Jesus. They believe other things as well, but they at least believe those three things in common with Paul and in common with all Christians. And yet Paul condemns them like that. They sound really mainstream. Here's the thing, friends. If you know people like this personally you wouldn't tolerate others calling them out as false teachers because they sound really Christian. They sound mainstream, don't they? Do do you follow what I'm saying? You say, they believe the Bible's God's word. They believe Jesus is the King, the Christ, the Messiah. They believe he offers salvation to all people. They can't be false teachers. They're mainstream. They believe the gospel. Doctrine matters. There's more to it than that. And the more to it is a matter of eternal life and death. Uh, we're actually going to get to some of that stuff in coming weeks uh, as we get into the book of Galatians. I'm not going to go into what the, the other teachers believed in, in depth today. But I have noticed, and here's one of the main things I want you to get out of today, I've noticed that these days criticising the views of other people who profess to be Christians is increasingly viewed as completely unacceptable. You're not allowed to criticise other people who claim to be Christians. You're supposed to tolerate them, you're supposed to love them, you're supposed to rejoice in them. You, 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 you criticise them and they say, well, they basically believe the Bible, they believe Jesus, stop being so critical. But Galatians is going to teach us, no, no, there's more to it than that and salvation is at stake. Calling out false teaching, therefore, because it, when it's personal, with people you know, is really unpleasant. It's really unpleasant, it's not nice. Uh, but God calls us to do it because it's really important and people need to be warned. Now, there's this magazine called Christianity Today. Has anybody read, seen Christianity Today? It's, it's an American magazine. It's the flagship American evangelical magazine. Um, it's read by a wide audience of different people who are, are Christians or claim the name of Jesus. Some of them write articles I, I wouldn't say are Christians. Um, but it's, because there's a great variety of views, one of the most common responses they get in letters to the editor after, you know, there's an article one month, the next month, letters to the editor, a lot of pushback on a lot of articles. Like, you can't say that, you can't criticise those people, that sort of thing. Then in 2009, there was this wonderful article uh, called, If Paul's Epistle to the Galatians was published in Christianity Today. Just imagine if Galatians was published in Christianity Today as a feature article. How would people respond to it? How would the letters to the editor read? Um, the, the thing's satire, it's fiction, um, but there's an absolutely crucial point being made here. So it's kind of funny, but it's also deadly serious. Um, Dear Christianity Today, in response to Paul D. Apostle's article about the Galatian church in January issue, I have to say how appalled I am by the unchristian tone of this hit piece. Why the negativity? Has he been to the Galatian church recently? I happen to know some of the people at that church and they are the most loving, caring people I've ever met. Dear Editor, how arrogant of Mr Apostle to think he's right to judge these people and label them accursed. Isn't that God's job? 
Regardless of this circumcision issue, these Galatians, we've got exciting things to talk about in coming weeks, uh, these Galatians believe in Jesus just as much as he does, and it's very pharisaical to condemn them, just because they differ on such a secondary issue. Personally, I don't want a sharp instrument anywhere near my zipper. Hints of what's to come. But that doesn't give me the right to judge how anyone else follows Christ. Can't we just focus on our common commitment to Christ and furthering his kingdom instead of tearing down fellow believers over petty doctrinal matters? Kind editors, I happen to be a member of First Christian Church of Galatia and I take issue with Mr Apostle's article, how can he criticise a ministry that's been so blessed by God? Our church has baptised many new members and has made huge inroads into the Jewish community with our pragmatic view on circumcision. Such a seeker-sensitive approach has given the Jews the deserve they respect. In addition, every Gentile in our midst has felt honoured to engage in such edifying rituals of the Hebrew heritage, including circumcision, without losing their passion for Jesus. My advice to Mr Apostle is to stick to spreading the gospel message of Christ's unconditional love and quit criticising what God is clearly blessing in other churches. Editor's note. Christianity Today apologises for a rash decision in publishing Apostle, Paul, uh, Apostle Paul's expose of the Galatian church. Had we known to the extent to which our readership and advertisers would withdraw their financial support, we never would have printed such unpopular biblical truth. We regret any damage we may have caused in propagating the doctrines of Christ. You get the point, don't you? This book today is unacceptable because <laughs> you're not allowed to criticise other people for their views if they name the name of Jesus. You're not allowed to be so petty about doctrine. Can't we just get on and we all follow Jesus? Friends, I'm convinced that much of modern Christianity has no backbone when it comes to calling out false teaching. You can't do it lovelessly. You have to do it very carefully and humbly. But you need to have, we need to have a backbone. We need to put the effort in, in discerning false teaching, weighing it up and warning people about views that turn them away from the true gospel of Jesus. Because the nature of successful false teachers, by the way, will make you seem very, very nasty for criticising them. You think, oh, okay, guys in black hats who are baddies, right? No, no, that's not what they look like. Here's the people you'd be criticising. The most successful and most dangerous false teachers today are often in charge of large churches of thousands and tens of thousands of people. They write successful Christian books that you'll find prominently at Kurong and other Christian bookshops. They have Christian TV shows that are very popular and go to hundreds of countries, or tens of countries. They have their own radio programs that people love and find very helpful. You will probably know people who find their message and ministry really personally uplifting and helpful for their day-to-day life. Because alternative Gospels, if they're at all successful are really, really attractive. Really attractive. That's why people are drawn to them. More than that, false teachers often run good social welfare programs and mercy ministries and that kind of thing that are actually very positive and doing genuine good in their communities. So that's really good. But then somebody comes along and says, this person's distorting the gospel of Jesus and leading people astray and that church is following a false gospel and how do people respond? Well, they're following Jesus, stop criticising them, leave them alone. Can you see the problem? The Bible warns if they preach another gospel to what the apostles first preached, then they can expect God to send them to hell and it is likely that their false teaching will lead others there too. Just take a deep breath. That is heavy. 
isn't it? But it's true. I just want to uh, give you two points that about very quickly. It's very important that we have the proper motives for calling out false teaching. Two motives that Paul has here. I'll say this twice so you hear it right. Um, first of all, Paul criticizes and condemns false teaching because he loves people. He doesn't do it because he loves to criticize and condemn. Can I say that again? Paul criticizes and condemns false teaching because he loves people. He doesn't do it because he loves to criticize and condemn. Loving, criticizing, condemning other people for the sake of loving that activity is actually really ungodly. It's not just unpleasant, it's ungodly. It's always a means to make the truth known so that people would find salvation as it really is in Jesus because there's a lot at stake and so the hard work of calling out false teaching, warn people of it, that kind of thing. Galatians is a really passionate letter. Paul loves these people. He doesn't want them to be turned aside from the gospel and we need to have the same motivation. Secondly, he says it here in verse 10, Paul's living for God's approval and not that of other people. Verse 10, am I now trying to win the approval of all human... uh, Sorry, win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. You know the best way to get bums on seats in a church, grow a church? Make a package, make a message that fulfills people's felt needs and doesn't make them uncomfortable in any way whatsoever and you can fill a room with people. Give them what they want. One of the things that will limit the size of a church very often and ensure that at least some people turn away is preaching the gospel faithfully. Of course, preaching the gospel faithfully will see people enter God's kingdom. But often it will be unpleasant. I've preached sermons in this church. I've seen people not come back afterwards. I don't know why I saw the looks on their faces. They're offended by God's truth. And I try and do it as well as I can, as lovingly, as humbly as I can, and all that kind of thing. But, you know, I, I see the looks on your faces while I'm preaching. You see, you laugh at my mannerisms. That's all right. I laugh at yours too, okay? Um, but, you know, there's people who don't come back, and, and, and you feel that, and it hurts. But that's the cost of preaching the gospel, and we need to remember we're living for God's approval and not that of human beings, and for their salvation, and not just to make them happy in the meantime. Stuart last week reminded us what? We're supposed to live for God's glory. That's the point of life. Pleasing God. God's approval. Now, if you just sort of start at the beginning of that, and Paul's calling these people out, you go, why is Paul so sure about himself? Why does he think he's got it right? Why is his version of this gospel thing right? Well, there's going to be more about that in the next passage, actually, so I won't tell you um, in detail at all. But verse 1, just have a look at verse 1. Excuse me, I'm going to sniff into this microphone. I'm sure sure that's unpleasant. (laughs) Uh, It says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, uh, nor, nor by our man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Paul's an apostle. That means he's a personal representative of Jesus. He was personally appointed to that job. He was given a thing called the gospel to go and spread, to make it known. The apostle is kind of the official authority, like a high court supreme judge on the gospel, essentially. So to fail to listen to the apostle is to fail to listen to the true gospel. Of course, it's not that like Paul could change it to what he wants, because in verse 8 he says, if I preach a different gospel, then I'd be accursed. You see, it's not just about he can preach what he wants, but he's been entrusted with this thing called the gospel that he needs to spread to people, and if people turn away from that, that's a big problem. 
So it's called the apostolic gospel because Jesus entrusted it to his apostles and we get it in the New Testament. Now, what is the gospel? Um, We need to talk about this because I've used the word gospel a lot. I've said it's really, really important, but I haven't said what it is. Verse 8 causes me some discomfort as well. It says, if somebody preaches a different gospel other than what Paul preached, let them be accursed. I preach the gospel all the time. Um, And if you share it with other people, you do too. Preach just means uh, proclaim, just tell people. That's all it means. It doesn't mean you have to stand in front of this thing and, and give a speech. It just means communicate the gospel of Jesus. And so we mustn't assume we've got it right. What I want to do for the next little while is just start from kind of first principles a bit. What's a gospel um, and uh, what's the gospel? And I want to talk about that for a bit because it's really important, as we've seen, to get it absolutely right. And I can't talk about everything, but let's just start with the bare basics. First of all, I've got this on the screen. Excellent. What's the gospel? First thing, the gospel is a message. The gospel is a thing made out of words. Gospeling like the the doing version of that, proclaim, like they translate in different ways, it sounds different in Greek. Gospeling is expressing content with words. Now, you might have heard the the saying, um, preach the gospel if necessary, use words. Has anybody heard that that saying? Preach the gospel if necessary, use words. It sounds really nice. Um, It's nonsense, but uh, here's why it's nonsense. Here's the big problem with it. It's like saying, feed people at all times if necessary, use food. Because that's, that's exactly the relationship between those two things. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. The gospel is words. It consists of words. It's a message. You need to speak the message so people understand it and believe it. So the first thing, gospel is a message. What's it about? Well, it's about a change of era. It's about a change in history. It's about God promising a time where he would act in history to change everything. It would be like, here's the old era and God's going to do something and bring about a new era. And the gospel is announcing that that new era has come where God would establish his rule of the world forever and he would bring salvation to his people. So the gospel is about bringing this salvation. That's why we often translate gospel as, what, good news. You heard gospel, good news. Because it's a really good message for people to believe because it promises salvation and a place in God's kingdom. I've got a couple of bits of the Bible come up here. Have a look. Um, when, when Jesus was born, shepherds uh, were met by angels in a field, and the angels said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news, the gospel, that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, this era has happened. This, 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 this break in history where a new era is coming, coming into effect now, today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Uh, when Jesus started his ministry, here's what his message was. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the gospel or the good news. You see, he starts preaching this message. This time has come. The new era has dawned. Salvation has begun. The gospel is about a new era coming about. Oh, that's unfortunate. Very good. Lastly, for what I'm going to talk about today, it's a new era brought about by Jesus' death and resurrection. Paul summarises very helpfully his gospel message in various places. Let me show you a couple of passages, and they get progressively shorter, because he's got different... You know, he includes more content detail in some places. The gospel is a very big thing, but you can kind of strain it down to some really important central points uh, at different, in different passages. So 1 Corinthians 15, 1-5, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I gospeled to you. That's what preached means. Um, which you received and which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I gospeled to you. 
Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance. See, he's got a message. He's passing on. He's communicating with words. That's what the gospel is. Here's the message. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. It was promised in the Old Testament. He was buried. He was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. God promised this salvation was coming in Jesus in the Old Testament again. And he appeared to Peter, that's Cephas. Cephas is the apostle Peter. And then to the 12 apostles. Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, in accordance with the promise of the Old Testament, um, that's what the gospel is. That's what he's declaring to people. Romans chapter 1, 1 to 4. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. That's an apostle's job, is to to proclaim the gospel, to make the gospel known and and, and, and keep it pure and that kind of thing, put it in the Bible. Um, The gospel he promised before him through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, again, promised in the Old Testament, regarding his son, that's Jesus, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David. What's the importance of that? The descendant of David is the king of Israel, the Christ. Only a descendant of David can be the saviour. So he's a descendant of David, uh, the king, um, and through the spirit of holiness, God's Holy Spirit was appointed to be the son of God in power by his resurrection of the dead. So he's the Lord of all things because he rose from the dead and he's the son of David. Again, you see some of the common things that he's proclaiming. You want the really, really short version? Here it is. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Is that nice or what? (laughs) Of course, he could talk about other things. You notice he hasn't talked about the cross there and the cross of Jesus, the death of Jesus is really important to the gospel. But he's talking about Jesus, the fulfillment of the promises of God, having conquered death, Lord of all things, who's able to offer salvation to people because of that. These are the central points that he brings out as he talks about the gospel. Now, how does it connect to us? Well, I'm an evangelical. An evangelical is a gospel person. See, the the Greek word is uh, euangelion, I'll Latinize it. It means uh, uh, evangelion, I suppose you'd say if you Latinize it. Evangelical. You see how the Greek word's just been turned into an English word? Evangelical means a gospel person. A person who's on about the gospel message. New Life Anglican Church is an evangelical church. We're on about the gospel. Now, why do I want to say that? Because that is, the, that is the message we'll preach to outsiders, and that's the message we'll preach to each other too. Um, there's a view sometimes that people, an attitude people have, I suppose, where they think the gospel is a thing just for people who don't know Jesus yet. It's not. It's the center of our identity as Christians. When Paul writes the book of Romans, he starts off saying, you guys are Christians, right? I can't wait to get into Rome to preach the gospel to you. Because the gospel is our identity. The gospel is the center of who we are as Christians. We're evangelicals. We're people who are on about the message of Jesus. And you can't graduate from that message without turning to a different gospel. Now, I want to finish with talking about uh, my last point, basically. Why would you be tempted to turn to another gospel? Um, and some of the strategies people use to promote different gospels. Um, the reason you turn to a different gospel, I suppose, is because you don't realise you are, and because false teachers make it seem really, really, really attractive and like a really good idea. It actually takes a lot of discernment and a lot of wisdom and a lot of knowing your Bible well to detect false teaching if it's a half-convincing uh, false teaching um it's it's kind of like we it's a horrible example but i'll use it anyway uh, at church where you do a safe ministry training which is about uh learning how to identify uh what's the word um 
It's, a, it's about protecting children and learning to identify like markers and indicators that some kind of abuse might be going in in a home. And so we train people what to look out for so that they can intervene in the right way. It's kind of the same thing, sort of thing we need to do with false teaching. We need to be able to analyse what's going on and have an eye for these things and to be able to discern really wisely what's going on. So here's some of the, um, the strategies false teachers use that I've seen all of them. Uh, and they get progressively harder to spot. Here's the most easy one to spot. Strategy number one, reject and deny. Um, It is easy to spot false teaching of that if you know the gospel pretty well because reject and deny is just say, I don't believe in the resurrection or something like that. You you with me? The most obvious kind of false teaching is people come and say, I don't believe in this Jesus guy or I don't believe his death is for our sins or something like that. Uh, It's pretty obvious. Gets a bit harder after that. Then there's people who add or subtract from the gospel, often very quietly and subtly. Some people don't deny Jesus' resurrection. What they do is they just never talk about it. And never talking about it is a form of false teaching because it's a way of not believing it, of not proclaiming it, of preaching a gospel that doesn't need a resurrection. The other way people do that is to add bits to the gospel really subtly. We'll hear more about that in coming weeks, so I won't labour that. But, But here's the point. If you add to the gospel, you destroy it. Um, this, this is the most, on the screen, is, is the most expensive production wine in the world at the moment. Uh, it, well, I don't know production, I, I don't know the terms, I don't have wine. Uh, I can't even pronounce that. Romani Conti Grand Cru, I'm Westy. Romani Conti Grand Cru. That's, that's <laughs> I, I don't know how to pronounce that, but that bottle will set you back almost $17,000. Um, way to better not drop it, hey. Um, so he, here's what you must not do with that bottle of wine. Don't add Coke to it. Okay? And don't like put sugar in it or mix it with cordial. If you add to it, it's destroyed. It's a very precious thing. If you add to it, it's destroyed. I don't actually think it's precious, it's wine, but you get the point. The gospel is a precious thing. If you add to it, you ruin it, you destroy it. Add or subtract. The third thing people do, and it gets more subtle, twist and distort. Use the same words but with a different dictionary. This is so dangerous because there's a lot of false teachers who sound like Christians because they use Christian Bible words. Sin, salvation, kingdom of God, Jesus. But they change the meanings. They use a, the same words, but they've got a different dictionary. You know, you know what I mean? They, they, they've made up definitions for these words to fit their message and they twist it in that, that kind of way. I'll give you an example. Um, there's this thing called the self-esteem gospel that the, the main proponent of it is Robert Shuler, who died last month, actually. Um, and he thinks the Bible is all about self-esteem. The message is about self-esteem and just feeling good about yourself. And that's what Jesus wants for you and that's the, that's the gospel. And so he twists the Bible to teach that message. So Jesus said, um, love your neighbour as you love yourself. Okay, um, so that means you have to love yourself in order to love your neighbour. So what you should do is spend all your time loving yourself in order to be able to love your neighbour. The gospel is really about loving yourself. And so Jesus' whole point is, love your neighbour. <laughs> and he says, love yourself. Do you see how he's twisted it? to get to the complete opposite of what Jesus was talking about. And so you've got people being more sinful and more obsessed with themselves, the complete opposite of what Jesus says. And and Robert Shuler redefines all the terms. Sin isn't rebellion against God, it's robbing others of their self-esteem. Instead of warning people of God's judgment, he tells people the worst sin you can do is thinking that you're unworthy of God. Did you hear that? The worst sin you can do is thinking you're unworthy of God, meaning that you don't really need to repent. God will just let you in. Of course he loves you. Of course your sin's not a big deal. You don't have desperate need for God's forgiveness. 
you can see how dangerous that gets. It comes to a deeper level slightly when people start replacing the gospel entirely and relabeling it as Christianity. Give me a different product, slap a Jesus sticker on it, and that's the gospel. And it's often delivered by a smooth-talking salesman. That's what Shul is doing with his self-esteem gospel. It's what the prosperity gospel is about. Do the right things, pray the right prayers, then God will make you rich and ensure you have a comfortable lifestyle. That's materialistic, Western greed, relabeled as Christianity. It is not Christianity. One of the most dangerous false teachers in the world today, I regard, is this man, Joel Osteen. I need to give you a specific example. He's very, very popular. His church has 43,000 people in it. 43,000 people. His sermons are televised to 20 million people a month in 100 countries, over 100 countries. People love him, but what does he preach? Well, he doesn't preach God's judgment. He doesn't think people need to hear that. He thinks the only judgment people need to hear about is don't judge yourself, don't think, don't beat yourself down, God loves you, it's, it's not a big deal. He doesn't ever talk about sin. He doesn't think people need to hear about that. He thinks the only sin you really commit is failing to live up to your potential and so missing out on your best life now. So he teaches people are basically good and that our good works ensure that God will look after us in the here and now, which is just prosperity gospel again. It's very, very twisted. And therefore he isn't boldly proclaiming that Jesus is the risen Lord who rescues us from the coming judgment of God. He doesn't believe those things and he even boasts that people of other religions embrace his message without feeling the need to become Christians, which should be a warning bell. Because why would they need Jesus with that kind of teaching? He's got other problems as well, but I'm not going to go into it. This is not Christianity though. This is not the gospel. This is self-help, motivational seminar with a dose of prosperity teaching, a big dose of it, minus any need of Jesus, but with a Jesus sticker attached to it anyway. And I just want to be nasty. I've got to say, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Here is a man with such influence who will not give people the message of salvation. And that should break our heart. And he does it with a big friendly smile on his face. This is the weightiness of the gospel, friends. Brothers and sisters, do not be desensitized to the inexpressible evil that false gospels are. They look nice, they feel nice, people love them, and it pleases people. But they lead people away from salvation, and they'll only really be seen by all people for what they are on the day of judgment. So open our eyes. We need to pray that God would open our eyes. And we need to protect and defend and proclaim the true gospel fiercely, like Paul did. Now, friends, I actually want to end on a high note. So have a look at verse 3. Here's the gospel that Paul proclaims. I don't want to just chop down the wrong thing. I want us to rejoice at the right thing. Verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, Jesus gives us salvation we don't deserve if only we'll trust him for it. Peace. In the age to come, we will be in a kingdom where everything is in perfect harmony and there is no more sin or anything else that would hinder that. And it comes about through Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us out of this present evil age where sin is so prevalent, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Let me pray for us. Loving Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the good news, the gospel of Jesus, who's brought about a new era of forgiveness and salvation that's so freely available to all who trust in him and the fact that he died for our sins on the cross and rose again to give us eternal life and to be the Lord of all things forever. Thank you for King Jesus. Please help us to be wise, to be able to discern really carefully what the true gospel is and what true doctrine is carefully and well. Please better educate us in the scriptures, in the Bible, so that we know what it says, what its concerns are and what its concerns aren't and what things contradict it. Please give us wisdom and people skills and love as we try to uh, oppose false views and views that just lead people away from the true gospel of Jesus, distract people from it. Please have mercy on us and help us in every way in this area that we need. And open our eyes wide to both the truth of the gospel of Jesus and the awfulness of false views, false gospels. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.